Father in heaven, we turn our, our hearts and our minds and tune them to hear the voice of your Spirit. I believe you have a message for us today that can bring great hope to our hearts. May we be able to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably know that hymn well, right? And you probably heard the words in your mind as Gable played, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. Oh Israel. It's one of those songs that you, you hear the tune and you hear the words and somehow you know it's important. But it's also a, a lyric that can get by you if you're not really paying attention to it because it's, it's got big words, Emmanuel, it's got, it's got imagery, captive Israel, lonely exile, She'll come to you, O Israel. What, what does that have to do with me exactly? Well, that word, Emmanuel, is a very powerful word. It's a word full of, of messianic and divine promise because Emmanuel literally means God with us. God with us. Now, in that verse, captive Israel, now that, that should, uh, from what we know of the history of Israel, that ought to uh, evoke in us reflection and imagining Israel in Babylon. By the waters of Babylon, we laid down and wept. It, it plays upon that spot in our heart that each of us has, that place of sorrow, that place of great darkness, that place of great sadness, and it cries out, Emmanuel, come to the place of darkness in me. It's powerful language, the longing for a deliverer. But it's interesting where the word Emmanuel first appears. It happens in a prophecy, a prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah at a time when you might not really expect it. You see, it was during the days of King Ahaz. You've probably heard of Ahaz, but, but he's not really up at the top of the list, is he, of the ones we know? He's not David. He's not, he's not Solomon. He's not Saul, the anti-hero, he's not, he's not Hezekiah or Josiah, Ahaz. And it wasn't really a very good time. In fact, when this word Emmanuel appears, it's actually in the midst of a very bad time because you see what's happening right in this moment is you recall that, that Judah and Israel, the, the tribes from the sons of Jacob, split apart. 
And there were kings of Israel and kings of Judah. Well, they've grown so far apart now that the kings of Israel have allied themselves with the kings of the Arameans, and Israel and Aram have come together to attack Jerusalem in order to take the, the king, Ahaz, who is in the line of David, physically take him off the throne, kill him, and put someone else on the throne in his place, not of the line of David. This is absolutely the threat here is an absolute threat to God's promise. And you might think in that context, if you were Ahaz and you knew that, that David was your ancestor and you knew the promise of God, you might in this moment, you would think, be, be reaching out for God, for the promise of God to your family line, particularly since it's family that's helping the enemies attack you. But alas, Ahaz was not a man of faith. We pick up this story in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now you hear that and your mind might go to what Jesus said in the wilderness, uh, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And you might be, be tempted to think for a moment there that, that maybe Ahaz is behaving in a, in a righteous manner, but, but I want to let you in on something and it'll be confirmed by what I read you next. And you just take this as a little piece of advice to hang on to. If a prophet of the Lord comes to you and asks you to ask the Lord God for a sign, do it, Okay? Because if God sends a prophet to you and says, ask for a sign, what he's desperately trying to do is reach you. And he's using whatever he can so that you will see and believe that he is God and that he is with you. But Ahaz wasn't going to go there because Ahaz was done with God and he was going to solve this his own way. Aren't you glad you never do that, right? You never say, God, I'm done with you. I'm going to do this my way. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Apparently Isaiah was a little fed up with Ahaz. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, Ahaz wouldn't ask for a sign, so God said, fine, I'm going to take this whole thing in my own hand. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. It's a strange prophecy, isn't it? And those words in there are familiar, but the context probably is completely unfamiliar. And you might think this is a crazy place to get a prophecy about Jesus but let me tell you where I think it hooks up here, where it connects here. You see, what's happening in the time of Ahaz is the people have gone so far away from God, he can no longer work with them to accomplish his purpose. So God says, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to take over and do this myself because I can't find faith or faithfulness in my people. And I will do it myself. 
But how would it come to be? What would it mean? The core of what God is going to do is contained in this verse. And there is an application in the initial context, but the words go so much beyond it. How can it be? Or, or, or maybe to quote a particular woman by the name of Mary who was yet to be born. How can, the, how can these things be, she said. So if all we had was the prophecy of Isaiah, I don't think we would even be bold enough to try to apply it to something later on. But, but if it wasn't for Matthew, the way he laid it out for us. But in that, I think it's a warning to us that sometimes when we read the Bible and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we're so afraid we're going to get something wrong that, that we miss amazing things that God is attempting to reveal to us. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I just want to pause here for a second and and have a little sympathy on on Joseph's position here. You're, You're engaged and suddenly your fiancé is pregnant with the craziest story you ever heard in your life as to how that happened. And to his credit, Joseph is a good guy. He doesn't want to make a big spectacle out of this, so, so he's going to, to do away with this situation quietly so as not to, to make a real ugly scene. Verse 20 But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Isn't it interesting? Ahaz was house of David. Here, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then it's at this point that Matthew jumps in and helps us out. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. When did the longing for Emmanuel begin? Certainly 
when Israel was in Babylon, they, they must have read those words and longed for, for Emmanuel to come. Certainly, it didn't feel like God was with them, but, but that wasn't even really the beginning of it. I mean, the whole story of Israel begins with the people of Israel in captivity in Egypt. But we can even go back before that to the promise to Abraham that, that through Abraham's seed would come one who would be a blessing to all of the nations. But, but that's not even really the place where it begins. No, in fact, it goes, I believe, all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. To Adam and Eve, the first ones, the first humans who, who were brought to a point where their faith was challenged. The serpent came and deceived them about the fruit that God had said, don't eat of this tree, but, but the serpent said, no, 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 you, you want to do this. This is a good idea. This is going to make you wise. This is going to make you like God. And in that moment, their faith faltered. We pick it up, Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I want you to appreciate this moment because this is the anti-Emmanuel moment. Because Emmanuel means God with us, right? And now here God has come to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the last thing in the world Adam and Eve want right now is to be with God. Here's where the trouble comes. We reached a point where the reality of our sin made us not want to be with God. So how can he be Emmanuel if we don't want to be with him? Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some from the tree and I ate it. And from that point on, relationships were going to be a problem, weren't they? You see what starts to break down when God is not with us anymore? Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel.
Adam and Eve weren't sure how it would work out that they would be restored. They may have thought that perhaps even one of their children would be the one that would come that would restore all things, but that's not how it was appointed to go, for without time for things to fully develop, the serpent, the devil, would have never been exposed and evil would have been misunderstood. It, it took time for the results to play out. A lot of it is, re- is certainly revealed in the history of Israel and in the history of the world, but, but we would never fully understand what had been lost and what we stood to regain until God was with us again. It, would, it wouldn't be revealed until until Jesus was born. And Emmanuel would show us a new way to live. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does Emmanuel mean to us now? Does our world need a Redeemer? Does our world need a Deliverer? Do we even know what Emmanuel means? What is the meaning of this time of year, Christmas? So many different things. I want to read you from Desire of Ages. Words that if you can hear these will bring an understanding to what Christmas really is. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. 
The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. To this sin-darkened earth, Jesus came to reveal the light of God's love, to be God with us. Therefore, it was prophesied of him, his name shall be called Emmanuel. By coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the Word of God, God's thought made audible. In the beginning, God was revealed in all the works of creation. It was Christ that spread the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. It was His hand that hung the worlds in space and fashioned the flowers of the field. It was He that filled the earth with beauty and the air with song. And upon all things in earth and air and sky, He wrote the message of the Father's love. Now sin has marred God's perfect work, yet that handwriting remains. Even now, all created things declare the glory of His excellence. There is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. The earth was dark through misapprehension of God, that the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. This could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love, and love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force of authority. Only by love is love awakened. Since Jesus came to dwell with us, we know that God is acquainted with our trials and sympathizes with our griefs. Every son and daughter of Adam may understand that our Creator is the friend of sinners. For in every doctrine of grace, every promise of joy, every deed of love, every divine attraction presented in the Savior's life on earth, we see God with us. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was His. With his stripes, we are healed. By his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. It was Satan's purpose to bring about an eternal separation between God and man. But in Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. In taking our nature... The Savior has bound Himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, He is linked with us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. To assure us of His immutable counsel of peace, God gave His only begotten Son to become one of the human family, forever to retain His human nature. Our little world 
under the curse of sin, the one dark blot in his glorious creation, will be honored above all other worlds in the universe of God. Here, where the Son of God tabernacled in humanity, where the King of glory lived and suffered and died. Here, when he shall make all things new, the tabernacle of God shall be with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And through endless ages, as the redeemed walk in the light of the Lord, they will praise him for his unspeakable gift. Emmanuel, God with us. What does Emmanuel mean to us now? Nothing short of everything. It is by Him that we live, it is by Him that we move, and it is by Him that we breathe. And it is in Him that we have any hope at all. According to the promise, Emmanuel came, born of the Virgin, to be God with us. And it is by promise that we believe Emmanuel will come again. In fact, that name itself is the promise. He can't be God with us if God isn't with us, right? Now by the Holy Spirit, but one day soon, face to face. No more running to hide in the garden, but through Jesus, standing before the Father, loved and accepted. Do you feel a longing in your heart right now? The longing to be with God? This is the longing for Emmanuel. This is what this hymn expresses. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. It is the song of hopeful longing. And though it is mournful in tone, yet the words say rejoice, rejoice. For Emmanuel will come to you, O Israel.
keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.